This is um, the Zohar on Parshat Yitro, which is uh, uh, Exodus 20, w- verse 1, which we just read with Barbara. And uh, I don't know if people know, but I, I study a page of Zohar every day. I've been doing it for the last 608 days uh, or so. And uh, it just so happens for the last month or so, I've been studying Parshat Yitro in Sinai. So uh, this came directly out of the readings that I've been doing. I read this one about a week ago. Um, and it is addressing what happened at Sinai in that first verse, uh, you know, chapter 20, verse 1. And um, I'm not going to read in the Aramaic, but if people are still around, I might chant a little bit of the Aramaic and people could fall asleep to it or something. Um, so... Uh, I'm going to begin here. We just read Exodus 20, verse 1. God spoke. So I'm going to just read the Zohar here. And uh, as things come up, we can, we can discuss. It has been taught. Rabbi Shimon said, It is written, God spoke. Spoke. To proclaim words. For it has been taught when the Blessed Holy One revealed himself and began to speak, those above and below trembled and the souls of Israel departed. So this is a teaching from the Talmud, from the rabbinic literature, that in this moment when God spoke the first two commandments, the souls of everybody, of all the Israelites, flew from their bodies because they couldn't take it. And the souls... Yeah, it'll say here in a second where they went. They, they go and they attach themselves to the throne of glory. They, they basically go up into the, into the higher planes of reality. Um, and the souls leave their bodies. Um, and uh, so, so we're going to continue now. So the, the souls of Israel departed. And it has been taught. That word flew from above to below, was engraved in the four winds of the world, then ascended and descended. So we have like an image here. Did you have a thought about that? Oh, uh, not yet, but I think so. But so we have an image here that is kind of similar to like the water cycle, right? You have this, the, the, you have this word of God that's, that's coming down and then going back up again and then coming down. It's like, a, like almost like this circular sort of idea of, the, of this word that is ascending and descending and ascending and descending. And it's even not at this point with any sort of meaning here. It's just this word, this kind of meaningless word uh, is coming and engraving in the four winds of the world and ascending and descending. Ascending, it was absorbed by mountains of pure balsam and infused with that dew from above. So there's this idea that um, there is a dew that when the resurrection comes, when the world to come comes, there will be this tlale, uh, this dew of resurrection. 
this dew that will bring everybody back to life. And that's kind of what it's referring to here. Um, so this word of God, which is like the divine speech, gets absorbed by the mountains of pure balsam and infused with this dew from above, this dew of resurrection. And then it circles around Israel and restores their souls, then circled and engraved itself in its place on the tablets of stone. And so it was with every single word. So one image here is the pure balsam, right? The pure balsam, it has a certain scent to it. Um, and how do you bring a soul back to its body? Well, smell is a really great way to do it, right? It's, um, you know, when people pass out, they have smelling salts that bring, bring them back to, to uh, consciousness, right? That the idea here is that smell is very much associated with the body, with the physical, um, and not as much with the spiritual upper worlds. And so it kind of activates your amygdala, you know, your lower brain, um, and brings you back to your body. And this is, this is the idea of what happened here, is their souls ascended above, and the smell of the mountains of pure balsam that have been infused with the word of God bring their souls back into their bodies. So the words of Torah, are we talking so the words of Torah are bringing people back into their bodies. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. So, uh, and there's actually a, I think it might be in, in the here actually somewhere it says, uh, there's a quote, there's a, a famous scriptural quote that says the, the, the words of Torah bring back the soul. That uh, the mashivat uh, nafesh, and, and I think it's it's all it's here somewhere. I don't I don't know exactly where it might be in a footnote, um, but yeah, that's exactly where they're going. That the words of Torah infuse the mountains and bring the soul back, bring the souls back to their bodies. Hmm. So if you look at footnote 341, uh, second, or, uh, second page here of footnote 341, according to rabbinic tradition, 13 rivers of balsam await the righteous in the world that is coming. Here the rivers turn into mountains. There's this idea of resurrection that is closely associated with this balsam, but also associated with the scent. All right, let's continue. So, so it was with every single word. So every word of, every word of the Torah had uh, participated in this sort of water cycle up and down ascending and descending, whirlwind, and then came and engraved itself on the stone. Part of, I think, what it's saying, what it's talking about here is, it doesn't say in the Torah that we read tonight, it doesn't say, and God engraved it. It says God spoke, 
right? So one, one of the things that the Zohar is doing here is saying, well, how does it that God spoke and then it's engraved on the tablets? Well, it's explaining this process. Um, so uh, next page, page 462. And this is uh, Rabbi Shimon, who's the author of the Zohar. Rabbi Shimon said, every word was filled with all those meanings, with all those elements, decrees, rewards and punishments, mysteries and secrets, like a treasure ship filled with everything. So each word that came down and engraved itself had m a multitude of meanings, infinite number of meanings, decrees, secrets, Every single word that was, was engraved, was spoken and engraved, had the potential to give rise to infinite interpretations, infinite meanings. Yes? So, I'm sorry, I, I don't understand so hard. I don't understand <laughs> it. I don't, I'm not here. But, um, but, what, but that, uh, that bothers me a little bit because then it can mean right. anything. Yeah, exactly. What do you mean? It it can, it can mean but anything. No. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's that's a bizarre way to create community. <laughs> right, it goes back to the well. That's but that's the idea. The idea is that the Torah was black fire written on white fire, and the white fire is the white spaces, and that is all of the potential meanings that could come out. And this is what this is what they they say in the midrash that everything that could ever be said about the Torah by any wise scholar was already given on Mount Sinai. So all of, the, all of those potential meanings are included in that. Now, now, it doesn't mean that it's good or bad, right? We're, we're, he's going to get to this. He's saying that there's actually, there's, a, there's, there's 70 uh, languages that it's conveyed in. And here it says there are, there are 70 kind of good languages and 70 bad languages. Right, so even, yes, even the bad interpretations are, you can still make them. Doesn't mean, doesn't mean they're right, right? There's a, the Degel Machne Ephraim, who's uh, uh, the great grandson of the Baal Shem Tov. He, he wrote a, a Sefer, um, and he interprets the uh, cows in, in the dream, in Pharaoh's dream, right? They're the seven healthy cows and the seven uh, sick cows. He says that these seven cows are coming out of the Nile, and the Nile is the Torah. And the Torah can give rise to, to evil interpretations, just like it can give rise to good interpretations. And the, the sick cows are the evil interpretations, the, good cow, the healthy cows are the good interpretations. And then he says, and a person could even argue and justify murder based upon the Torah. Right? And, and, and in fact, that was done, right? Like Yigal Amir, yeah, Yigal Amir, who, who assassinated Yitzchak Rabin, he, 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 his argument was based on Torah. He says that in Torah it says, if there's somebody pursuing you to kill you, you have a right to turn around and kill them. And that was his logic. And, and so he said, Rabin was pursuing me to kill me because he was making this deal with the Arabs that was you know, gonna destroy Israel. And so I have every right to kill him. And so he was able to argue based on Torah. Wait, Torah? That doesn't... it wasn't Torah? <laughs> I mean, you can do that with anything. He Charles went like this. Did that with the Beatles, right? Charles Manson did that with the Beatles. 
Right, right. I mean, and I, I, mean, I think that this is what it's, it, it's not just talking about Torah here. It's talking about, um, it's talking about reality. It's talking about anything that anybody says, anything that anybody communicates can be interpreted in a multitude of ways. It can be in, in, interpreted in, a, in ways that, did, that people didn't even intend. You know, when you look at a piece of artwork, you can look at that artwork and you say, you know, I see this, that, and the other thing in this artwork. And the artist would be like, well, I didn't put that, that wasn't my intention to put that in there. But somehow it's inherently, the potential for that is inherently in there when the artist creates the work, right? And so the potential for any interpretation is in there once God is putting the word on the, on the stone tablet. So, so you did make a qualification uh, a little while ago that I think is important, and you said, uh, you know, like any or all wise scholars. Like, it's not that like all interpretations are valid. Some are going to be much better than others. Um, so, so I think that that's important. Some will be better than others, and some will fit better than others. You know, um, and and some are inherently give more ethics. There's a great there's a great uh, quote from Sanhedrin from the from the tractate of the Talmud which says, when you walk into a study hall, there are people who are permitting and there are people who are prohibiting the same thing. There are people who are saying this is kosher and people saying this is not kosher. There are people who say you can do, do this, you cannot do this. So how does, and then it poses the question, how does, how does a person know how to behave in this world? If, if all possible interpretations are there and everybody's disagreeing, and it says, make your ears like a mill hopper. And a mill hopper takes in a lot of grain and then brings it down to a, a small, opening and and then it says and acquire for yourself a discerning heart so that you can know and figure out what's right and what's wrong and what interpretations are good and which interpretations are bad sandy you were going to say something I forgot, so i'll raise my hand when I... okay thursday night seems like ages ago we studied uh, with charna and she talked about three levels of receiving torah the, the first level is you learned something you hadn't learned, it's important, and it was outside of you, and you learned it. And then eventually, the third level is everything you speak is Torah, essentially. That you have to ascend in your spiritual development to reach a point that Torah moves through you and you live according to the Torah. Beautiful. Let's continue. So like a treasure ship filled with everything, when a word issued, it seemed to be one, right? You'd think, oh, there's one meaning to this word. But as it was engraved in its place, 70 branches appeared in that word, rising within it, and 50 crowns minus one on this side, and 50 minus one on that side, 49 on this side, 49 on that side, like a hammer striking a rock as is said, like a hammer shattering rock. So again, it's this idea of when the Torah was given, you would think it's just one meaning. But no, each word gives rise to 70 meanings there, and then 49 on one side and 49 on one side, that's the, the evil interpretations and the good interpretations, right? The, the two sides, the two... And 49 is significant because it's 49 days of the Omer, right? And it's uh, what's called the 50 gates of Binah, which Binah is uh, seen as um, the source of all 
knowledge and intelligence in the world. Um, where the, did you have your hand up again? Well, yeah, yeah. I, just, I kind of remembered. So when you were saying some are better than others, so in special education law, we're not allowed to say, you know, this is a better program or this is a better way to do something. It has to be appropriate. You know, so it's like all these possible interpretations, some of them are absolutely not going to be appropriate based on the underlying intentions and principles under which, you know, we know this was given. And so, and then I know there's certain teachings I've been, I'm quoting from things I learned here or other places, but there are certain people who are considered sages and people we listen to and we study, you know, their interpretations. We wouldn't just take anybody's interpretation and just say, oh, okay, you know, I'm gonna do what this person said. I don't know if there's like a, a closed set or if those are still growing, those people that can offer right. and, interpretations. And, and there, but there's an idea that, that, that pretty much anybody can say anything, can, can justify anything based on the Torah, right? And so you do need somebody who's a wise scholar, right? You need somebody who can, who can discern whether it's from the 49 on the on one side or the forty nine on the other side. Aren't we getting into Rebbe Rebbe charisma? Like I feel like we're on the edge of, right? I'm with you. I was going to say that. You want somebody to tell you what to do or oh tell my you? Gosh, right. Tell you what's like, right and tell yeah, you what's it's wrong. It's like this whole night is balanced. So, yeah. you, well, oh, every no, I'm just saying like everyone can sit in the Rebbe chair. Everyone has their moment. That's what Harshalom is about. Like each person finds their Torah to teach and they shine and they lead and they find their way. So, and yet, yes, there are... Uh, the other thing I was going to say is that, the other thing I was going to say on top of that is that what's, what's a right interpretation for a certain time and generation and place might be wrong for a different certain generation and time and place. And who's a good decisor for... 13th century might not be the best decisor of the Torah for the 21st century, right? You might not want to be going to, to a 13th century scholar to get him to... This is like to, to the community to... decides, right? The, the authority is in the community. Cap I'm becoming capital. Uh, Dan, were you going to say something? Yeah, so I'm just reminded a little bit earlier from uh, what you said, Jennifer, right? Um, yes. I just about anger where you would be angry differently in Japan than you would in, in Israel. Like you really do have to be uh, a little bit contextualized. Right, and 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 so, but you but you need that freedom of interpretation in order to be able to say, look, Leviticus nineteen doesn't need to mean what it meant in fifteenth century, right? The 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 prohibition against against a man laying with another man as he lays with a woman doesn't need to mean that. We, we have the freedom, because there are an infinite number of interpretations, to, to reinterpret that, to, to, to make it relevant for our own time and our own generation. So, so maybe it, the potential is for you know, negative interpretations to come out, but the potential is also for, to allow the Torah to speak to each generation in the way that that generation needs to hear it. You know, it's almost a very Kaplanian sort of Reconstructionist. Right. I just, I guess, I keep being uncomfortable with the idea that you can justify killing Yitzhak Rabin 
and that, that that might be one of the meanings that were was put in the, on the tablet with the water. I don't I don't accept that. I won't accept that the Torah would ever say you can you can do that. Could somebody interpret it? Sure. You, 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 don't interpret you, you can say it, but you you're you you're, you're the community disintegrates. The community disintegrates. Right, you can say. It's very Kantian. <laughs> right, yeah, it's like the, the categorical imperative, you know, like yeah. you should act as as you would want everybody to act, right? And that's how you create your community. You, is, but you still you still need that freedom of interpretation to be able to look at the Torah and say all possibilities are on the table here. As a community, we choose. We want to take this interpretation. This is what we believe is the correct interpretation for our time, our place, our context. This is, and 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 that doesn't allow a guy like Yitzchak Rabin to, or Yitzchak Rabin, a guy like Yigal Amir to say, "Oh, I just, I just, you know, I, I'm, I'm interpreting the Torah as, you know, oh, Yitzchak Rabin is a pursuer and I could kill him." Well, that's totally out of the context of any sort of community or any sort of, right? Now that being said, his community did kind of encourage that interpretation, right? And he probably had rabbis who were saying that. Right. Uh, and so that's why, that's the danger of essentially having a community, of having, you know, a community becomes divided into all that where there's no, what, 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 is, what does that mean? When that happens, when you have a great leader who was a warrior, who becomes a peacemaker, and some coward can take him out, because because of a group of radical rabbis have done that. What does that mean? That means that there's no common vision of Sinai anymore. That no, that people can't see that that is not a godly act. Well, let's take it away from the the murder of Rabin, which is huge, and put it into something a, a little bit less weighty, which is the women of the wall, right? That we. Liberal Jews believe that women should be able to pray, read from the Torah and, and pray out loud and, and all of these things. Meanwhile, and that's our interpretation of Torah, right? Meanwhile, the rabbi of the wall, who is a, a lecturer, he's, he says, no, I don't believe that. That, that interpretation doesn't apply to me. And so I'm going to get these people arrested for bringing a Torah to the wall or for wearing a, a talis. And, how does, and then how are we part of those same people anymore? Right, I mean, it's a tough question, and then and the state of Israel, like, how can how can we exist and and go to the state of Israel when we don't share that same value, the same sense, the same interpretation of of Torah, of reality? So, is there no? Is there? I'm glad you're talking about it. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Attack me! I want to, you know. No, I'm not attacking. I'm just. Is there no? like this is how we go about it, right? So there's there's an infinite number of interpretations. You can't just say, oh, the wise one, the wise one knows, right? There has to be some some standard that's in place. Is that, what is that? Is it just how many texts I can pull out? Is it the cohesive, cohesiveness of it? Is it the consistency of it? I mean, how, how do you- I think it, it's all of those, that? it's all of those things. Plus, it's knowing other interpretations that have been made of a certain text historically, right? Like, so when you're writing a tshuva, like a, a legal brief as a rabbi, you have to go back and look at what everybody else has said about that particular law that you're responding to. 
right? So, for example, Elliot Dorf, who's this rabbi in California, wrote this tshuva uh, allowing homosexual marriage in conservative Judaism. And so when he wrote that tshuva, he went back to all of the interpretations of that original text, that, which is from the Torah, which says, you know, you shouldn't lie with a ma another man as you lie with a woman. And he, within the bounds of all of those other interpretations, he presented an interpretation that allowed for him to reinterpret that law. And was it a legal fiction or was it, I mean, you know, how do you decide if that's a legal fiction, right? I mean, it, I guess I'm just, yeah, does that kind of make sense? Mm -hmm. But I mean, I think we do that, we do that now too, like with the U.S. Constitution, right? Like, like, um, I think right, the they, US Constitution, they, they'll say this has been overturned. They will say that this decision was incorrect, and so we're overturning it. Unless it's a new... Or amending it. Yeah, or amending it. Change, it, right. change the rules. Right, right. But the Supreme Court can overrule previous, previous court Well, cases. but we do it with things like... I guess it, it, the interpretations can be amended, right? But but the text itself, right? Like like uh, like this like uh, the Second Amendment. The Constitution says a black person is two fifths of a, of a right. A, a, and then we amended the Constitution to say that that's not so. Right. Or right. you could. It's also about interpretation, right? Like like the like the the right to bear arms. Well, if you look at it within its context, you can argue that actually it was about building a militia. And it had nothing to do with, you know, uh, the right, NRA. Right. It, it had nothing to do with that. And so, but yet it's been interpreted by the NRA as not as not about building a militia. Right. So, so I guess what I'm saying is that there is that interpretation of the Constitution. There is a a, a, a a sort of interpretation, openness of interpretation of the Constitution, for example, to allow for different. Ways and, all, and how to interpret it is all in the Constitution too, right? So all the procedures and all of that, right? There's a procedural system and there's and the case the law system, right? And so, and so, and everything has to be within an argument. You have to back it up and stuff. And it seems like I don't see that in, in this. Maybe not what he's writing here, but I think there is. A set of guidelines in Judaism. There is, and, and I mean that's what, this is poetry, right? This is this is this is the rabbis tripping out on how amazing it is that that there's all of these possible interpretations of every single word, you know. And 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 I think it's also a statement about about ourselves and the way that that we approach reality, you know, or when anybody says anything to us. That, or when we read anything, not just Torah, that, that there are so many different ways, there are infinite number of ways of, of, of taking it, of interpreting it. Um, and the, I mean, this gets at like postmodernist literary theory, you know, that, that um, no matter what you read, there's gonna be all of these different interpretations, and, and so uh, you have to know where you're coming from as part of it. So, yeah. The Torah, like, <clears throat> when, when God was speaking to, um, I think it was Moses, it was, he was addressing that there's to be one law for Jew and Gentile, and, I mean, he, there's this many instances where God's like, in case you 
you get confused about, about stuff. I'm gonna let I'm just make it clear. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Um, I don't change, and he lets us know. We just read the Ten Commandments earlier. I mean, he has a he has a just a basic standard way about himself that's not gonna ever change. You know, and so. But that's not that's not what's here. That's not what's in this text. What text I, is that? This is the Zohar. Uh, it's a 13th century mystical text. Mm -hmm. um, although some say it was written by Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, who was a second century sage, right? And so the is question it? is, so when you say there's one law and it doesn't change it, right? That's just an impossibility. That doesn't work with reality. When we think right? about to have to have one law that doesn't change for all time, sorry, that's not the way the world works. Well, the world is not. The world wasn't created by the world. Well, the, the one if the, if you want to say there, <laughs> right? But if you say that there's what does that even mean? right, if you say that there's one interpretation, well, you know, saying, if there's one law, yeah, the one law is. That which is hateful to you, don't do to your neighbor. The rest is commentary, well, well, right? Here's, here's Hillel, 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 Hillel was approached, and he said, if you can explain all the Torah standing on one foot, I'll become Jewish. And he stood on one foot, and he said, that which is hateful to, to you, don't do to your neighbor. The rest is commentary. Now go and study. That's the one law. Yeah, so that's what I'm saying. That's all I'm addressing. Right. I'm addressing that the Shema simply says, to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. So basically what you're saying, then well, who's God? What I'm saying is, no, it's not who's God. God tells you who he is. Basically, he says, I'm the creator. I'm the one that created you. I'm the one that formed the whole heavens and the whole earth. The sea and all the men that, that I'm in them is. I mean, it's complicated what to mean? us. What do, what, I don't understand what you're... It's what complicated you're, to what us. the implications of that But the simplicity of it is simply what it is. There's a complication, but at the same time, there's a very, it's a, simple, it's a simple thing to just know. So what I'm saying is, the Shema basically says that when you, um, and I'm not, I'm not saying, I'm not coming against whatever, I don't know anything, I mean, I'm not into, but I'm just saying, all I'm saying is that um, in order for there to be order, you can't just, you can't have a foundation that's just, Here's the foundation of, of whatever you're building. And uh, you build on, you build, and you build, and you build. And then you decide, well, no, let's change that. Let's change that foundation. I mean, I guess that's what's happened over time. You know, this but no, that's rise not, of civilization that's not what, collapsed. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying <laughs> is, if you're going to have one thing that doesn't change, that's that which is hateful to you, don't do to your neighbor. Yeah. Well, that's, that's the one thing. Listen, shh. Hold on. I was getting ready to say that. Hold I was on. getting ready to go. Right. And, so that which is able to you don't do to your neighbor. Everything else is commentary. Meaning, right, the basis of all of it is this idea of loving the other and respecting the other and not hurting other people. Right? That's the basis of all of it. Now, everything else is, is interpretations, you know, based upon your time, your place, your, right? And so what it means to love your neighbor might be different in 21st century America than it was in 13th century Spain. So are we saying love is different than one time? No, the love is the same, 
right? The, ethic, the idea of ethics is the same, but in each generation, how that plays out and is, is different, right? There's a, great, uh, there's a great article from the Harvard Law Review by a law professor <coughs> named Robert Cover. He wrote it uh, about 20 years ago, and he, and he quotes Jewish sources. He quotes the Shulchan Aruch. And he says, uh, the article is called Nomos and Narrative. And he says the nomos is like the written law. And the narrative is the cultural narrative that changes over time. And, and the cultural narrative actually changes your interpretation of the nomos. Right? As a culture develops and evolves and changes, your interpretation of the nomos changes. The idea of ethics and, and, and treating others as you would want to be treated is always the same, but your interpretation in a particular time, in a particular place, in a particular context, in a particular community is going to be different, right? So, you know, uh, take a Hillel Shammai thing. So, uh, Sandy, why don't we go to you while James is talking. Okay, um, Jennifer and Shelley and I, we were in a class about ethics, remember? Yeah. And so, like, it was all about what you're trying, you know, what you're getting at. I mean, just like we took different to ethical topics and we talked about how there's certain commandments in the Torah, I mean, that support one view on it and another. Like, even something as basic as thou shalt not steal. Well, what if you know, it's a poor person who, you know, has to feed their family, mm -hmm. and so the situation is such that this is necessary there. And so there's like hierarchies even in the commandments about which ones have to step aside right. if another one's gonna be supported that's more essential, you know, to the true intent of that one basic, you know, preserving human life and treating other people the way you want to be treated. So it was just like, it's a whole, like, I, when you said this is poetry, to me, then I just calmed down, you know, because <laughs> I, well, no, because I was having some of the same questions like other people were having, but it isn't that anything goes, you know, you're not saying that. You're saying, open your mind to this possibility that we should be considering everything when we decide what's right. right and wrong, we should be opening up and considering everything. And you have to remember who this was written for, right? This is a mystical text from Kabbalah, which you're not, you weren't supposed to learn Kabbalah till you're 40 and, and married and have studied Torah, Mishnah, Talmud, everything. So, so you are already an expert on halacha, on Jewish law, on ethics, on, uh, right? And so then you're reading this, and you're like, and, and it's almost inspiring, right? You say, all, all possibilities are there. It's an infinite number of interpretations. Now, that being said, I've studied all of these different interpretations, and this is the one that's really, that really is the most ethical. Right, and, and, but you're educated already. Right, this is poetry. This is poetry for. This is poetry for the rabbis. Not for us. Not at eleven o'clock. Not for us. Right. That's good. Well, it's good that we know it's there. It's important to know that it's there, but it's very disconcerting, you know, because as you say, this is this is playing with fire. Right, and actually, later on in the text, in in a moment, they're going to say sometimes you shouldn't. 
uh, page 464. Um, so it's interpreting each word of like God spoke all these words saying, right? These, all meanings, all those mysteries, all those secrets, rewards and punishment to be a heritage for all, blah, 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 blah. Now you might say to what, to reveal what must, must not be revealed to everyone. This isn't for everyone. Well, it is written, I am Yudhe Yavavhe, your God. Just as I am hidden and concealed, so, these so should these words be hidden and concealed in your heart. Meaning, don't tell the Am Haaretz, don't tell the, you know, the uneducated these words, because they can't handle this, this teaching. Because they're going to go to that, you know, hey, anything goes, you know, Shabbatai Tzvi, you know, who is this false messiah from the 18th century who said, you know, let's just break all the laws because that's all okay, right? That, that's the potential. And, and they're saying, yeah, don't, don't tell this to everybody. Right. This shouldn't be some, a knowledge that every single Jew has. This should be a knowledge that's, that's well, saved so for somebody who has all of this background. So, Peter, you're going to add to your comments? To, to create community, you need some consensus on the way that you process, um, the way that you process the law, the way the com you need a common interpretation of the way you look at the Torah. Mm -hmm. You need a, you need everybody needs to know the same tune, mm -hmm. and you can improvise off that tune. Mm -hmm. And you know that what, like when we have when, we, when we're doing when we're doing something today, you know we're doing a a niggin today, right? We all know the tune, so I start a little later. So I come in and do do something responsibly, mm -hmm. but I'm still I'm I'm just harmonizing on the tune. Mm -hmm. The problem with the Zohar is when. When people like Madonna, who don't, who are, who are completely unfamiliar with the law, start start studying the Zohar, is that it is a it's 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 dangerous. It, 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 the biggest piece of it is it doesn't create a community. You know, it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't bring everybody together on on that on that common note. And not that they shouldn't be able to add voices that actually resonate, but the problem now is we live in a time when there's so many different voices that most people are just hearing the din. Mm -hmm. and, the, and the sanctuary must be a place where in fact everybody can get on the same tune, basically, whether, the, whether, it's, a, whether it's in discussion or whether it's in prayer. Right, and, and you, need, you need a conductor, right? Otherwise, everybody's going to be playing at the same time. And, and the conductor can't say, whatever you, you know, I'm, I'm the conductor, but you don't really have to do it my way. <laughs> you don't really have to listen to me. Right, what you're yeah, arguing you're, that you have a different conception of the God. So, so are you mean? arguing for are you arguing for rabbinic authority and that the rabbi should be the deci I'm, I'm, the I'm, the true I'm, decisor I'm, of the? I'm, I'm I'm arguing for rabbinic kavanah that has weight, that has magnetism, that draws that has magnetism that draws adherence to it. And then subsequently draws other, uh, that those adherents draw other adherents. So they say, well, this is the way this rabbi is. You might not like it, but there's another shul, burn with another rabbi, with another, with another interpretation. But this rabbi, this, this is not a shopping center. 
So you're not, so let me just make clear, like, so the reconstructionist model is this values-based decision-making model where people, people in the community study an issue of halakha and then they discuss it and they vote on it and they make a decision for their community based on halakha. Now there's the conservative model, right, where the rabbi is the mari da'atra, the rabbi is the chief decisor, and the rabbi studies all of the texts and says this is the way that we're doing it in this shul. So which one are you arguing for, or neither, or? He's just saying about community. That's all you're trying to address, community. I want to hear what Peter has to say. What I'm saying is that um, what, what the, the that, that a community that davens together and talks together and really is together comes to consensus. And the people who, are, who don't believe in the consensus, right? Mm -hmm they eventually decide that they don't want to be part of the community. That in fact, on the important issues, so on the issues of how much, how much participation there should be of children, on the issues of how to do kashrut, on all the important issues, on all the different, on, on, on what's appropriate for Shabbat. On all these issues, they, they do them, they maybe improvise a little bit and try some, some, innova some innovations, but eventually people have to come in there with a sense of calm that their expectations, their spiritual expectations will be met. So in a way you're saying that it's really in the best interests of the community to affiliate in some way so that everyone, you know, with a movement, you have to pick something. Yeah, you implied that I said that before, <laughs> and I, I didn't say it originally, and I didn't just say it then. Well, what I'm then saying, affiliate with a combination of this one and that one, whatever, but you got to pick something, and everybody and has to be on the You have to stand page. for something. You have to stand right. for something, and the rabbi has to, in fact, um, has, has to, in fact, incarnate, give, give voice. Be a manifestation give, of that. Yeah. Give voice to that consensus. So when the rabbi says, whatever your interpretation of this, whatever your manifestation of God, whatever, what the rabbi says is, we don't agree on this, and the, the only thing we agree about is that we don't agree on this. <laughs> that was a swipe right at me. I, I'm, not... <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just saying that well, it's, it's hard. But if you have a community that will be offended, half of them will be offended right. if you say this and half that. Well, but let me defend myself. Let me defend myself. I've been talked about here, right? So, so when I say, right, this is our time for uh, paying reverence or whatever, being an experience with it, whatever you consider the divine in your life. What I'm saying is, the specifics of the divine are not important, right? What Mordecai Kaplan said, which I go by, is. It doesn't matter what your interpretation is of God, right? That's wait, as stop, long as stop. what you just said yeah. is exactly that. And what I'm saying is, at least half the people are offended. But when you say whatever your interpretation of God <laughs> is, that's exactly the people because what they want in a shul is they want people who that have say, a common conception. Of here's God. how you not, believe it. Not, not some trivial difference. Not some trivial difference. But that there's a unity. Right, but the unity doesn't have to be about God, right? The end of the quote from Kaplan is, it doesn't matter what you feel about God, as long as it brings you into ethical action and yeah, being right, in community. But, 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 so that's the center. 
right? And but some people like that center. We're not some people Catholic. don't like that center. But we're not Kaplan-esque here. We, these people are not. They, they, they're, they're just as likely to be Kantians as Capalonians. They don't know Capalonians. Capalonians. <laughs> Capalonians. They don't, they don't know like that. But they want, what they want in the rabbi is somebody who says, when they, when, when they say, we're now going to take um, a moment to be with God. Okay, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to all stand up. We're, going to, we're not going to sit in our tochas. We're going to stand up and show some respect for 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 God. Right now, now this person may have one conception of God. This person may have a little bit different conception of God. The re that that's all okay, right? But so you're arguing showing, for this then? You no, know, you're I'm, arguing for the word God can have multiple interpretations, and they're all okay. No, it isn't that. But it's so not, what are you arguing? It's the consensus over time. Consensus over time is a congregation, right, has a a view of God and the way God works in the world, right, that they that they feel are, is shared. And all it could be for some people is there's a unity in the world, and that maybe is evolving toward a, toward a common consciousness. And God is the name of it. It also could be, you know, the God on the top of the Sistine Chapel, but. It is their common struggle, this group's mm -hmm. common struggle, for a, concep a conception of unity that's larger than themselves. Okay, let's open it up. I guess I would, I would almost argue that I don't know. I mean, you're almost wanting people, people to all agree on how to worship together and stuff. And I guess I, I feel like what, what would be a little more important in a community is how people, the method, in which people, right? It's the method, it's not the conclusions. So so you want people to worship in a certain way. We had, this is a very diverse congregation. You would lose half the people if, if you said this is what God is, or if the rabbi said this is what God is, right? But I, I, but I think within a diverse community, you can have a method in which, right? You can have that method. That's what I was trying to get at. How, how, how do you judge? How, what's the procedure? What is that? And if you can mm. get the community together on the procedure, on, on all of that kind of stuff, then it just seems to me that, that, that this is what the community has done. If you want to leave then, then you leave. But you're going to leave because of the method, not necessarily. Does that make sense? So I think we're kind of on the same page, but I think it's just a little, I think it's just a little different. Right, so it is, it, 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 what it is, for example, when it comes to something like Kashrut, there's right. a discussion. Right. There's an active discussion. And you guys did discussion that says no meat in here, right. that what's in here, everybody can be confident. Right. There's, right. there's actually now an extension of that that says make sure Go to go to King Supers. Make sure there's something for the gluten-free people. You know, you know. Make sure that <laughs> right. they, because we we acknowledge diversity. So all of that and that right. conversation means that when people come here, right, right. that they feel honored. That yes. they, their differences feel honored, right. and they're part of a larger unity. Right. And what they really want to do is be. They, then when they're here, they want to then say, "I'm part of a community." that is looking for a larger unity. And that unity, there's something, it gets to, it gets back to the beautiful beginning that we got to, that you started us with. It comes here and we can be here with some humility that for all of our struggles, about Kashrut and this or that, we're just a part of this. 
and there's a larger piece here. And that is, everybody conceives of it a little bit differently whether the rabbi tells them to or not. They still do conceive of it differently. <laughs> right? But, but that, is, that is that piece. Right, but I guess what I'm saying is, is this congregation seems to have done it on Kashrut, but they haven't done it in other areas. So everyone knows when they come here what to expect with the food, with the Kashrut, but they don't know what to, what to expect in other areas. So if the congregation had that same conversation in that same methodical way, and, so, and it, I guess to me that seems like that's, 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 that and the, and you know, and you know, we had we had a strategic plan, and what the what the what the strategic plan has said, the community said is that's what we want. We want to come in here. We want to we want to simplify the survey. But, but, but that was a, I mean, I'm in a strategic plan. And, right, that was through surveys. That was through surveys right. and stuff like that, right? We haven't we haven't actually. I mean, there have, are some of us on yeah. there that are saying yes, and we need to have a conversation. But we haven't gotten to the place of how are we going to have that conversation, right? I mean, right? I mean, we're not quite there yet. Well, I, 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 unless, unless, unless the, I think that <laughs> people really want, people really um, want to. They want to come and worship together. They yes. want to come and yes. worship together. Yes. And they want, they, they yes. want to have, a, um, they want to let go of some of themselves and come and worship together. Right. But I just, I guess, for me, I think it would be wonderful if you could, if the community could have the conversation of what that means. We, we talked about having like a little booklet or something that shows the structure of the worship service, you know, here. And, you know, and anybody who wanted to be a part of, you know, you could, you know, spiritual practices committee, you know, maybe they, together with the rabbis, they create a draft, maybe it gets circulated, maybe you have a meeting about it. You can make a process for coming up with, they must have had a process for picking the prayer book. If everybody agreed that that's the prayer book, if you follow it and... And they know, pasted in certain pages that they didn't like right. the, what it said. So there, there had to have been but, a process for that. But it doesn't that. say yeah, in the prayer book, worship... You were around like, for that? Yeah. It doesn't say in the prayer book, what's that thing that you say, like, whatever your concept of God. Well, right. then don't just say that. Just say <laughs> what... I mean, if that one right. phrase is what's bothering certain people because it does kind of bother me because it's kind of like saying well maybe there isn't really a god so whatever i think that's okay too i think that's okay too but but then don't say anything just (laughs) no just say right let's all rise for the amida you don't have to say (laughs) but then each person can have their own Right. Concept, and you don't have to shatter mine because right. you're you, you, you're yeah. the what, rabbi, what saying, and you're saying maybe saying, there's you, no you're God. You're dumb enough to believe in this God. <laughs> <laughs> That's not. That's not what I'm saying. No, but that's, that's, what that's I'm how hearing. it feels a little bit. It, it, it just feels well, like you're. you're no, I think I think there's an implication. There's definitely an implication of if you believe, James. I'll get to you in a second. If you believe that that if you believe that God is this one thing and it's your, it's just you're right and everybody else is wrong. I I don't I don't subscribe to that. I, and I, and, and, no, I don't. But right, and I and I wouldn't. I would say, uh, you need to be welcoming to the people who who are atheists, and you and and they can serve just the same as as anybody else in this community. And and they need and they need an explanation, because because they open up this book and it says, "But blessed are you, God," right? And so they need a little bit of an explanation to say, "Hey, like." 
This maybe maybe this supermarket ain't for them. I was just gonna well, say, hey, at least so this meeting knows to have a conversation, right? I can come in here and, and talk about right? I mean everyone brings a conversation. And so maybe we don't all walk away with the same concept of God, which I feel like you're trying to get at, but we all walk away with the method of how we're going to talk about God. So it's not just the rabbi saying, Oh yeah, whatever you think. We all have the method. Right? And we're all, you have even said, I've sat in class with you before where you say God is in the argument. Right? right? So let's have the argument. Let's have the conversation. Right? That's why. That's Wait, why. James has had his hand up for a long time. Let's, and then Dan, yeah. We're, we're all dominating. James, go ahead. Yeah, um, I, <clears throat> I just wanted to point out that, so this is, uh, this is Kabbalah. Mm -hmm. Zohar, so, 13th century. All I'm saying is that <clears throat> we were talking about milk earlier and how the ice cream and all that with the where oh, that yeah, came from. Dairy. I'm saying that everyone is not ready and for the this is meat. Okay? Yeah. You don't you don't give you don't give meat you don't give meat to people that are not on this level. This is so Right, I mean, and that's um, part when he's saying when he's saying, right, to reveal what must not be revealed to everyone. So, right, he says that so explicitly. I'm just, I just want to say that maybe, just maybe, uh, these kinds of stuff, this kind of stuff, maybe you know, if you say maybe say something like, uh, anybody that's interested in wanting to kind of hear about what what some of the uh, Kabbalist Zohar is saying about some of the deeper things of God. We're gonna do a class on that. Just bring them aside later in a separate, on a separate thing because this is that's gonna cause this kind of stuff. You don't want that. You want your community to be strong. You want your community to be. Hey, I told everybody I was teaching Zohar tonight, and I saved it to the last thing, and I allowed everybody to leave. I said, if you want to leave, leave. I was cleaned up. Right, we got to clean up. But but no, but let me just let me just read this last sentence. I think this is a good way to end it. Right, Israel saw eye to eye and rejoiced, and all later generations were present there, including us. All of them receiving the Torah on Mount Sinai, as is written. But with whoever is standing here with us today, and with whoever is not here with us today, all of them, every single one, fittingly all of them seeing and receiving the words. May we all receive the words of Torah in our own capacity, in our own way. Amen. Amen. Of that when we move from a point, a tribalistic view that could stone people when they misbehaved and didn't appropriate according to the rules, right? That that's no longer applicable in a rule in a world that's overrun with one one species, right? It's it's really not. Yep. And we can look at all these other species. They're all they're they're all doing it too. I mean, it's sort of you know, and there's there's a lot of variation out there in what constitutes normal sexuality in this mammal and in a lot of other species. Mm -hmm. So all he's doing is he's reinterpreting that for his generation. For his generation, and he was present, and just as that Torah was that. He's re he is reinterpreting that, and that's an important piece because that's that's the, that's the way by which we say that the slavery of the Torah is no longer the slavery of the 21st century, and and 
but there's still a principle there, just like Shemitah. There's still a principle there, and out of that principle and our disagreement with the way Torah is written comes a discussion, and out of that discussion comes an appropriate behavior for this century. That's very Kaplanian, isn't that very? It's very Kaplanian, yeah. <laughs> Kaplonian. That's very Kaplonian of you. All right. Well, thank you all. Whether we were ready for it or not, it had there was a lot of great discussion. And it got hot. Got a little heated in here. It was good. It was the heat. A little bit. Yeah. You didn't. You didn't get that. No. We we are. You know the the way. One of the ways I've been I've been in small Jewish communities my whole life. And one of the ways that you measure uh, whether, whether a Jewish community has matured is if they have a second congregation. So you can always quit. <laughs> in other words, that, you know, the words, as a congregation decides what it is, then you could say, well, I'm not that. I'm not, I'm, you know. and, and I always used to take great pleasure when I lived in this town that's much smaller than this, little town of Ashland, Oregon. I used to, on Shabbos, I used to take my talus back and walk past the shul, renewal shul, that, that you didn't, I go didn't to. belong to, to, to Daven in the reform shul, which I did belong to. And the truth is, I'm no more renewal than reform. I just took great pleasure in making a decision to say, these are the people with whom I, this, you know, my chiropractor remember this way, doesn't make it, but that whole piece of choosing and saying, this is my community. And you know, that's part